did it again. Welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the alumni journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct, and we've created the premier platform for alumni worldwide to spark connections through affinity relationships, whether it be college alumni, whether it be business alumni associations, fraternities, sororities, or athletes, we're trying to make a difference and help these people out and provide value. And uh, this show has been created to teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports and, and how they go on the journey to uh, business and entrepreneurship. Uh, today, we're really excited. We have Mark Chaikin on with us. Uh, Mark and I go way back. We're good friends. And uh, he's got some real exciting things to share with us and, uh, on his whole journey. Uh, Mark played uh, baseball growing up and in, in, into college and then uh, transitioned to be a, a collegiate cheerleader and then uh, got into acting. He's uh, my, my head's kind of spinning thinking of all the things that he does. And, and now he's president of U.S. Cheerleading Association. So, uh, Mark, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. So it, this is fun. I, I like to ask different questions. And the first one is tell me about um, about growing up playing sports and, and how it helped to shape your life. Well, uh, I lived in New York. It was a small city uh, upstate. And uh, I, I loved baseball. I would go outside and play with all my neighbors. Never really played any organized baseball until 10 which uh, when you think about like my, my own son, I started him at four. I found a league that, you know, started at four as opposed to a lot of leagues that started at five, but I was just so excited to get involved uh, when it came to my son. But I, I, I started at 10 and uh, I remember I played on uh, a team and we were undefeated. And I want to say, I think we're like 32 and oh, we get to the championship game and I remember whenever I would hit, I would either walk or I'd strike out. Uh, I would never swing the bat. I must have <laughs> been just afraid to swing the bat. I remember playing second base and I actually was pretty good at catching the ball. But uh, my skills were never cultivated where I uh, was brave enough to just let it fly, to swing. So I remember uh, I, I got up and I was... There was a person on base and I'm at the plate and, and I make the last out striking out. I didn't uh. walk, I struck out <laughs> something to this day. I still remember. And, but you know, it's not something I remember in a negative way. It's something I remember where, when I had an opportunity to work with individuals, whether it was through sports or in life in general, you know, giving them the, that confidence to go ahead and swing and miss, but learn learn that strike zone, learn to track the ball, learn to be able to, uh, uh, to go on up with a plan to help you meet with success. And I, I've coached 10-year-olds. I've coached all the way through uh, to uh, collegiate age. But going back to that story, when I think about how I made that out in the entire season, I would strike out or walk. And know it. I, I'm just looking back on that. I don't ever remember someone working with me and trying to help me be able to swing and feel confident about swinging, even if it meant swinging and missing. Oh, well, I mean, but, uh, you know, just talking about organized sports, that was my only organized sports experience uh, until I moved to South Florida. And uh, I, I was one of those individuals that uh, at 12, I was probably amongst the tallest out of all my friends, which 
you know, these days is not the case. So, uh, uh, but uh, I remember trying out uh, for Little League and uh, the coach coming out telling me I was his first pick, which I thought, gosh, I felt really bad thinking that he picked me first because he didn't know that I haven't really played baseball. But one year when I was uh, 10 and this was a 12 year old season, which in Little League is a really big year. Yeah. And uh, he's telling me that I'm the opening day pitcher. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this guy's having me pitch opening day. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, OK, sure. Sure, coach, whatever I can do to help the team. And we were playing in Mullins Park. And I remember uh, that I pitched a one hitter that game. Wow. Complete game, six innings, 10. I think it was 10 strikeouts. And I remember the umpire coming up to me at the end of the game telling me that I pitched a one hitter and I didn't want to correct him because I know more than one ball was put into play. So I thought my job was to strike everyone out. When I think about my baseball IQ, gosh, you know, uh, the little I knew about the game back then, but you know, it's like, so I was just thinking if someone just put the ball in play, that was a hit. So like when someone's telling everyone's congratulating me, oh, you, you know, you pitched a one hitter. I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't believe all these people didn't see more than one ball go into play. That's fine. Uh, but that season, it was a great year. Um, I had a phenomenal year of baseball uh, throughout that. Back then, you really didn't have travel until um, later on. And then I played Legion ball. But I had such great experiences. Uh, Coral Springs would go on to uh, host the Southern regional tournament played with uh, against people like Dwight Gooden. And uh, uh, you know, that came from uh, teams traveling all over the country, some of the best teams. And we were fortunate uh, to uh, uh, play against some very, very talented uh, baseball players went on uh, tried out for Terrible high school. It was the first year that they were opening. And I was the only freshman to make Terravella uh, high school baseball, which back then they didn't have JV. So if you didn't make the varsity program, you weren't playing baseball, which uh, it's really great to see how, uh, you know, just high school baseball has evolved to get more kids, in, uh, you know, included. So I was the first four-year letterman in uh, Terravilla history, had a lot of opportunities to go play places, but I decided that I really wanted uh, the collegiate experience where I could go to the school that of my dreams, my parents met at the University of Miami. They just won the College World Series in, in 85. So while I had uh, scholarship opportunities to go elsewhere, they weren't my top schools. Right. And so I decided to go to Miami. And, uh, you know, Greg Elena was a really uh, an inspiration because uh, he was number two in his class academically. Uh, but he was really in search of, of playing for a big time collegiate baseball program. And at the time, Miami was certainly like the premier program yeah, along that. with Texas, you know, so he ends up going to Miami. Um, uh, he ends up tr uh, walking on. Uh, uh, Bertman was uh, one of the coaches there with the wizard, Ron Frazier. And uh, it's an interesting story how he says, okay, well, you made the team, but don't expect to play in the, the spring. Uh, well, we're going to keep you on in the spring, but don't expect to play. And, uh, and then he ends up becoming in 85, the World Series MVP. 
And when you think that this player was a walk-on, so that really kind of inspired me. I tried out for baseball, made it all the way through to the final cut. Uh, after we finished the practice, uh, there were like five of us walking back to the dorm, ran into, uh, I guess, four or five of the UM cheerleaders that were female. They asked us to try out for cheerleading. They were very attractive. And uh, I said, you know what? I will be there if you were there. So I ended up uh, going to cheerleading tryouts. I never cheered a day in my life, uh, but I, I did. I did find it interesting. I've, I've watched them. You know, just some of the things that they would do on the sidelines. I had great respect for uh, the girls and the guys, just with what kind of athletes that they were. Uh, I was taken onto the varsity team. They told me that they were going to give us um, stipends where we were getting scholarship money. We're traveling all over the country. And it just sounded like so much fun. And uh, here I really didn't, uh, I didn't have anything, uh, uh, you know, with the university. There was, you know, I, I would be fortunate. And it's not to say like, you know, at the time when I think about Greg Elena, you know, he was extremely committed. I, right. I, I, you know, I often wonder what would have happened if I just stuck with baseball, but I really went, uh, part of the reason why I went to Miami was to have a, uh, a great collegiate experience. And gosh, you know, the years that I cheered at UM, I had uh, three national championship rings to show for it. Wow. You know, just, that's, uh, that's great. And like, just, it was, you know, I was a part of that 86 undefeated team where we, we went undefeated and we lost uh, with Vinny uh, Testaverde in, uh, uh, against Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. Then we uh, go and we uh, run the tables and go undefeated in 87, win the national championship. And, you know, we're, we're flying on the team, uh, playing with all the players and just experiencing it. Uh, having uh, a front row seat to, to it all. And then in 88 too, like even those off years, you know, these, these off years that Miami would have, maybe they would lose one game. And because yeah. of the system back then, they wouldn't, uh, they, they wouldn't have that vote into it. But certainly if there was a playoff system every year, by the end of the year, end of 88, I mean, that was the year that uh, uh, the fight broke out in Penn state. I was in the, I was in that tunnel for that fight. And uh, that crazy game uh, that came to a two point conversion where you know, there were a lot of things that uh, Miami should have walked out of South Bend with a victory, if not for some crazy things that had happened in that game that, you know, later that, you know, were questionable with regards to mistakes made uh, officiating. But nevertheless, we still had an opportunity to win it. Uh, we could have gone for the tie, but Jimmy Johnson decides, OK, now we came here to win. And like many of those games where you're going uh, for the two-point conversion, it just didn't go our way. But once again, that does, you know, he, he wins another national championship in 88. Uh, 89, we win the national championship. 90, uh, unbelievable season again. 91, we win the national championship. Uh, I So, you know, just, and then I stayed on, I was the uh, stadium announcer, Mike Man. So I was a uh, part of that 92 uh, championship season, which, Again, just amazing. Uh, that was, uh, I believe, we beat uh, Alabama that year. Yeah, no, I mean that, that's that's like a, a, an awesome experience all the way through. So let me ask you a question. So, like yeah. growing up, did you? Uh, did, what was your dream? Did you dream of being a professional baseball player? Oh yeah, absolutely. Just you know, 
the dream was to be a professional baseball player and play for your favorite team. You know, so I think, you know, just so many uh, young men and then now, you know, you, you know, maybe young females because, yeah. uh, you know, girls getting involved with uh, with baseball and and you see it now, uh, uh, girls coaching on the highest level. Yeah. The New York Yankees uh, uh, hired a, a female manager, too, for uh, their minor league team. It's, it's exciting. But, you know, it's like there's still such a passion and a love that I have for the game of baseball. I love football too, love basketball, yeah. but with regards to uh, just uh, playing and, and just a, a passion about it. And that's something that I always try to cultivate regardless of uh, the age level that I worked with was hopefully having, you know, my players and all the, all the people who I was fortunate enough to be involved with have that type of love for the game. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I would have loved to have been a professional baseball player too. Unfortunately, the talent wasn't necessarily there, but yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was still good. So um, take me, so when you're um, in college and at UM, what kinds of things um, do you think that uh, from an alumni standpoint, um, was there help from alumni? I mean, not, not the, I know sometimes you hear different stories about alumni and what the different sports football and all that, but did you see people helping other like the current students, did, did that go on, like helping shape them, mentor them? Oh, yeah. You, you know, often you would end up seeing different programs where alumni would come back and whether it was academically or, I mean, just Miami's always been known to watch, uh, like to have their former players come back. That was, you know, you could you, if you ever spent some time on campus, it, it's all about that. You know, the uh, the workout room is uh, Dwayne Johnson, named after Dwayne Johnson because of the, everything he's done for the program. And then, the, uh, you know, when you walk through the football facility, it's just uh, a who's who of, of college and pro football history, name after name of just these phenomenal players that I was so fortunate to, you know, call some of them dear friends and and um, others that I've watched um, from the sidelines and cheered on. And then in some other cases, you know, just since I graduated and I went straight from the field to the stands where I've been season ticket holders uh, for my entire life and just kind of supporting uh, the university and staying as connected as possible. But, you know, the, every year Miami has their paradise camp for football where uh, just these elite football legends come back and give back to the players and they're around it and people travel in from all over the country. And you can see how Mario Cristobal just of late, you know, for him to uh, just completely uproot everything and leave and, and go to his alma mater. I mean, it's when you, when you've been a part of it, you just have such a, a love for uh, the university as so many people do for their own university. Oh, yeah. It's it's just it's such a special connection. It's unlike anything, you know, with regards to as you graduate from an institution where you have like uh, you know wonderful sports programs and you know you're you're a fan for life. Yeah, no, and and that's you know we're we're trying to encourage that um, you know with our platform is just having like you said that affinity relationship, whether it be you know from your school or or as an athlete and. 
really promoting that because it's something special you can uh and i know you know you like me do a lot of networking connecting with people and it's um i think it's it's having that step up i mean you can go to different events and meet people but when you have that relationship like hey we went to the same school together we played sports um it, it definitely means something uh what's your uh kind of a hot topic right now is the nil and just people um these college athletes promoting themselves and, and having the opportunity to make money well, give me um what are your thoughts on that well, I think the concern why there's always been so many rules in place was to have a, you know, a fairness, a competitive balance. Well, clearly that's not the case at the highest level of collegiate football to begin with, you know, where, and I saw, I saw some, uh, some, you know, interesting uh, broadcasters talking about with coaches going to certain parts of the country and being able like to just use Mario as an example, if Mario and he's put together a really dynamic staff collegially, if they can recruit and keep their players home in Florida, and if uh, coaches in California and Texas, like, you know, the fact that Texas A&M is coming off of such a, a great season and Jimbo Fisher has, uh, you know, recruiting classes going the right way. If, if you can start seeing that, it's going to create a competitive balance because so many programs like Alabama have been able to recruit and take all of Florida's best players, or I shouldn't say all of them, but so many right. talented players where traditionally they would stay. And they were talking that that might be a way to have balance because if all of the best players from certain hotbed areas are going to the same elite programs over and over again, it's that's why you end up seeing the same team being good right. over and over and over again. Now, you know, there's a lot more than just recruiting. You know, they're great coaches. They uh, they they do well uh, with game management. There's so much uh, to that goes to getting your program to the highest level and being able to win. So they're really good. But uh, just being able to uh, have the players are important. You know, you, uh, if you want to match up uh, with speed and be able to do certain things to be successful, you need to have, you need to have the, uh, the players. Uh, so I, I think that that uh, getting back to your initial question about NIL, which really that's, you know, like we're just talking about an element of fairness and how, you know, the same teams have been successful. I like it. I like it a lot for a number of reasons. Uh, you look at a player like Melvin Braddon who uh, in his last game in the Orange Bowl ends up getting injured, affects his pro career. Now, if he had NI deals and he was uh, financially set because of what a special player he was throughout his collegiate years, I also like the fact that maybe players won't leave so early right. because now they have an opportunity to make money on the collegiate level. And right. why shouldn't they? You know, uh, like they should. They're, they've become a... Uh, some uh, person of interest, a celebrity, uh, uh, you know, like they should be able to uh, make money from uh, their, just like anyone else would. Right. Why shouldn't they be just because they're an athlete? And yeah, if they're fortunate enough because of everything that they bring to a university to get a scholarship, wonderful, great. That right. uh, You know, good. I like, I'm, I'm happy for those individuals. And then if they're able to also make uh, money because of it, I, uh, you know what? Wonderful. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's great for all the athletes. I support it. Uh, now, granted, it'd be, you know, like right now, there's not a whole lot of, uh, I guess, parameters. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if, if that's going to be necessary as things play out. But I certainly love the fact that uh, athletes have an opportunity. For the longest time, you'd see this amazing athlete, and he wasn't even allowed to get a job. Right. So then he didn't have money yeah. while he's one of the best collegiate players in the country. And then all of a sudden somebody wants to take him to lunch or someone gives him some money yeah. to go do something. And then that's an NCAA infraction. Right. Can you imagine if someone was telling the NCAA, Oh, well, you know, you, that's fine. You can go ahead and do what you're doing for uh, collegiate sports, but you can't get paid for, to do it. Right. I mean, right. It's insane. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like one of the things we're trying to do um, at alumni direct is we're creating um, uh, within our community centers, athletes corner, we're trying to give a platform for um, these college athletes to promote themselves. And then also, you know, alumni athletes as well. Cause I think, you know, you have all these guys or women that go to these big schools and they're more known, but there's a lot of smaller schools that people don't necessarily know the athletes at a national level, but the alumni do. And so that's something, and uh, you know, what, one of the, um, I guess, concerns that I've heard a couple of people talked about, we've talked about on the show is that um, all of a sudden, you know, these, maybe some of these athletes making all this money, just not knowing how to handle it, that they have to pay taxes on it and things like that. So I think it's important to, um, and there's a lot of resources out there and we're trying to partner with people like that, that want to work with these athletes and kind of guide them, you know, on, on yeah. that and social media, social media is a whole nother big problem. Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity with social media yeah. as well. So there's the good with the bad. Uh, Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, I look at the bad where so much misinformation is, is dangerous. Right. I mean, you see what's going on in the world right now with, you know, just the lack of knowledge within a country like Russia with their yeah. own citizens because of state run television. But there's so many wonderful things about social media, too. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've been able to stay in touch and connect with people from elementary school, you know, yeah. that, you know, you would lose touch. There are a lot of times I was like, oh, well, you, you know, I wish I would have had the ability to have an iPhone when I was in college sure. to capture some of these amazing experiences that you weren't allowed to bring a phone. And I, like you weren't allowed to bring a camera to a lot of things that we did. So you, you don't, you're not carrying the camera in. So, you, you know, you really have your memories. But if you look so often, it's photographs that spark memories. Yeah. And that, and that you remember things from looking at photographs. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, so I, I do look at uh, the, the power of social media. And while there's a lot of drawbacks, there's also a lot of positive aspects. And, and for these athletes, a lot of opportunity to uh, generate some wealth and, and in some cases uh, generational wealth. Oh um, yeah. And, and there's organizations uh, out there and, and, and we're trying to find, you know, partner with them too, that want to help, you know, kind of guide them and, and through, uh, you know, through social media and doing things the right way and all that um, question about um, when you look at um, colleges and I guess in your specific experience and, you know, you haven't been a big program like that. Um, do they, uh, do you see, the schools or the athletics working with these athletes that kind of prepare them for the life after sports? No. Well, I absolutely. Just going through 
just uh, some of the camps, like when my son was going through a Miami camp, just to see the resources that they put from the ability to get tutored to a number of different things that they're doing where uh, it could be life after baseball or life after whatever the sport is. I think it's really important because so many uh, collegiate athletes, especially, you know, a lot of people that aren't playing at that level, but even the ones that are, you know, the percentages that are going to go on and be able to make a living at it. And then even ones that uh, are fortunate enough to get to the highest level and make uh, a little money. But, you know, if, if you're not intelligent about how you um, manage that money, it's not going to last uh, very long. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, so you want to, you know, have a plan. And, uh, I've, you know, there there is a lot of uh, people with the skills that they've acquired through athletics that can be very successful, you yeah. know, in, in a number of uh, business opportunities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the, just the whole, the preparation, the practice the blood, sweat and tears definitely, definitely helps people. So, um, you know, we talk about, you know, mentioned a little bit about alumni and kind of the connections. What, um, how do you leverage, do you leverage um, your alumni relationships with whether it be, you know, from UM, whether it be through the athletics, whether it be through, you know, again, we talked about the acting or do you utilize that, uh, you know, in, in talking and helping, you know, them and you? Well, uh, when I went to Miami, I double majored and uh, my, I was a broadcast major. And then I was a theater arts major. So that's actually where I started working on the uh, craft of, of acting. Uh, did a number of shows at Miami. And then I actually did some uh, theater at, at, uh, at my high school too. And then, um, yeah, I, I've, I stayed in touch uh, with uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people in the theater department at Miami. Uh, from a business side of things. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, uh, I've worked with some of my friends that, uh, were, uh, that came from Miami and, uh, with, with, uh, they ran their own theater department. They called me in to work on a project. So yeah, absolutely. Um, with regards to, uh, after I graduated, uh, I, one of my, most interesting auditions. Uh, one of my most difficult ones was actually uh, Universal Studios was opening up. They were going to have a grand opening and uh, they were going to have some of Hollywood's elite. So they wanted to open with 13 um, of these VIP talent um, escorts in essence. So uh, I auditioned with thousands of people. And the amount of information that I had to remember. And I remember going into a room and there'd be like 500 people. You'd sit down and you'd, you'd be doing an interview just like you and I are doing. And then uh, you'd finish and then they'd read out like uh, five names and say, please, uh, everyone else, thank you very much. And like they kept asking you to come back in an hour. And, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the 13 that was picked. And, uh, you know, my... Um, I had Jane Seymour uh, and her kids and Sissy Spacek and uh, just um, that whole experience during the grand opening was such a neat one. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, had an evening where I had dinner with Jimmy Stewart and his wife. It's a wonderful and, uh, life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Charlton Heston was there. Um, 
uh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, uh, gosh, there, there were uh, so many incredible uh, Hollywood actors, Ernest Borg, uh, Borgnine and uh, Janet Leigh. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it's quite a list. So I, I end up uh, remembering like my, I took some photographs and my agent calls me and they tell me that HBO is doing this gig. I, I go down on the audition. I book it. It was like a week that we shot it on Kibis game with like all their top actors uh, for the season. And then the very next week I booked my first national commercial for Miller light for the Super Bowl. And it was shot in the old orange bowl. Wow. And uh, they, I want to say, I think they, you know, your day rate as a Screen Actors Guild actor, it, you know, this is your SAG rate, but then where you make the majority of your money is on residuals. That commercial, I think, maybe like maybe 15000 you know, for the day. But what, what I remember so well was um, there was this guy, Johnny Gardelli. He was a uh, really great looking guy. Uh, there were three of us that were, we were pretending to be Brown fans. So we were like the dog pound one of us had to wear a dog mask. He was the one that unfortunately got picked and, uh, and he didn't get the residuals cause he was downgraded. Oh. And like, so I quickly learned, do not put on the dog mask. Yeah, no, definitely <laughs> you, not. Know, you don't want to do that. But like that kind of launched my career, you know, into acting and my first season. Oh my gosh. I booked eight national commercials, which I never did again. I, and, you know, back then I, I didn't realize just how special it was. Cause I'm like, Hey, where are all these movies? Where are these um, television shows? Why aren't I getting opportunities for those? But, you know, ba back then Miami was a really big commercial market. And then, uh, you know, quickly after I learned of what a special season that was booking as, as many uh, spots as I did, I became very grateful. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, I, I to this day, you know, I'm still involved with um, with the business, not quite uh, as often. And, right. and it, you know, when projects come along, but it's still a real passion, you know, just the, the creative process, uh, the making of being on the set. Uh, whether you're meeting a director, you're meeting an ad agency and clients and, and wanting to uh, go deliver, you know, and, and be good, be prepared. It, it's fun. It's, it's really enjoyable. Yeah. So obviously everybody, Mark's had a pretty cool life. So kind of, kind of wrapping up the last question, and then we'll kind of get into like what you're doing today. Um, what advice would you give to athletes um, as they, you know, as their career is winding down, whether it's, you know, done from college injury or, or professional, what advice would you give them in their journey to life after sports and becoming successful as an entrepreneur like yourself? I would say taking a lot of those skill sets that allow them to be successful in sports, dedication, commitment, preparation, and then putting it into the field that they have a passion for. And then just always trying to make sure that what you're doing, that you have a purpose, you know, what is this purpose? And it, can't, it shouldn't just be about creating wealth. It should be about making a difference yeah. and making a positive difference, no matter what it is. I like, I often think whenever I meet someone, what, what are they doing for a living? And then like how, like whatever their job is, how I think, oh, well, you know what? There's so many different ways that person can make a positive difference with what they're doing. Right. And I just think ultimately uh, 
you know, there's that, there's always the aspects of understanding, well, if you had, you know, because a lot of times we have multiple things that we're interested in uh, that, you know, one might be more commercially viable. So it might be able to provide a better living, which, you know, the more opportunity you are to be successful and a lot of times the more resources that you can maintain to actually help other people and make a difference. And, you know, so that there's that aspect too, and, uh, and saying, well, is, is there a need for this? Or if, if you, you know, you think about something and you think, well, how can we make this better? You know, I was just watching super pumped thinking about, you know, Uber yeah. and how, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that series yet, but, uh, yeah, I do want to see it. <laughs> Here it's good. but like, just like the whole thought of that, where before there was Uber, where you could just on your phone, set up like a car to come pick you up you know you're walking out and if it happens to be a hotel or an area that all the cabs are you know around okay uh you know you're gonna be able to get a cab but you know with something like car sharing where it evolved to car sharing because it was um uh, cabs were being regulated so they had to say well we're not a cab company we're a car sharing company but the reason why I even bring it up is there's always a thought concept Yeah. with regards to we only have what we have right now. Right. And then you think, well, wow, what a great idea that would be that you can just walk anywhere and you can just be getting a, a ride just boop on uh, and then paying on the phone. You don't have to do anything and a system of being able. So while it was a very uh, successful venture financially, uh, j- just like you look at like the iPhone. Right. I mean, I remember watching a movie like um, Minority Report. Right. And and how uh, uh, Detective Atherton was touching all the screens. And back then there was no such thing as touch. Yeah, that's all. We didn't, we didn't have that. Yeah. So then all of a sudden the iPhone comes out and now you have a touchscreen phone and how that evolved and changed so much of everything yeah. in the world from that technology. So yes, it's uh, it's one of the, you know, it is the premier company now. You look at Apple, but so many of their products, yeah. what they've done to, to change the world oh, with yeah. that type of technology. And, you know, like, it's just so powerful. But, you know, I remember the scene where uh, just in one of the movies where his daughter was listening to like a Sony Walkman and she has this big thing. And, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, if you had a cassette tape where I made mixtapes, you know, you can only have a, like a certain amount of songs. Yeah. And now you can like throw thousands of songs. Into, like, oh, this yeah. Movie. No, it, it, it's like, crazy. It, so, you know, so now that the. the uh, oh, yeah, it's not. So taking it the, the final final step here we're going to talk a little about what you're doing today and i will preface that you know mark talked about the cheerleading he forgot to mention so i'm going to mention it for him and score some okay. points that he did yeah. meet his beautiful wife uh through cheerleading so now take it fast forward to uh you're now actually the president. I, I proposed to her at the national championship game right when miami scored there and i said julie duncan let's go ring shopping so i did do a little more romantic one but i know she was really she was really ready at that point. So, you yeah, know. so I, I scored some points with her bringing up. But so tell us today, you're you're uh, you and her, uh, you you run United States Cheerleading Association. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Give us kind of the uh, this is the fun part where I say, here's your commercial and tell people what you're doing, and how they can find you. 
Well, uh, you know, we're at uh, uscheer.com or uscheerlending.com. We've been doing it now for over 30 years. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, our big event, uh, we have the U.S. National that's coming up. We've been, it's been our premier event where we've had uh, teams traveling in from four continents and all over the U.S. over the years. And uh, we also run the U.S. National Championships uh, on a local level, uh, We've uh, held classes with the city of Boca Raton on, on a rec level. And then uh, Julie has uh, her gym, which is the Boca Raton Hurricane All-Stars. So uh, appropriately so, we took our passion for cheer and we made a living with it because it's such a wonderful sport, which now has been uh, accepted by the IOC. It's going to be a new Olympic sport. So it's uh, all over the planet now where you have uh, competitive cheerleading. Cheerleaders, just some of the world's best athletes training uh, from across the globe uh, where it's going to, you know, and it really kind of just like so many wonderful sports like baseball, you know, which uh, was uh, a, an American uh, sport that caught on in, in many parts of the world. And, and cheerleading is very much the same. Uh, so, you know, just absolutely love it. I, I always loved uh, uh, the up, uh, you know, just the, how positive it is and uplifting. And uh, it, it's it's something that I, I really enjoy doing every day. That's great. We, we need more of that. So, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, for doing the show tonight. It's been uh, it's been great uh, to find us. You can find us on alumnidirect.com. You can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And we're continuing to do things like this. We want to provide valuable content to alumni and just helping make a difference in people's lives. So thank you again, everybody. And we look forward to the next show. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, I've, I've told you before, just, uh, you know, if you're involved with it, I know it's going to be great. And, uh, you, you know, thank you for making a difference. Well, I appreciate that. All right. Thanks everybody. Have a good night.